Hello, everybody. Welcome, AAP subscribers, to our weekly podcast. My name is Bob Lang, and I'm here with my partner, Chris Versace, today. Hey, Bob. Great to have you here, Chris. Thanks, Bob. I uh, Where else would I be? Oh, just right here, where you're right at home, Chris. So, uh, literally, uh, literally, I am at home. That is true. That is very that's, true. That's right. That's right. So, so Chris, let's uh, let's get the let's get the ball rolling over here. We got a big week coming up here. It's not. Why, just... why do you why do you say that? I mean, tomorrow is August CPI. Wednesday is uh, August PPI options. Uh, sorry, volatility issues. The auto show starts Thursday's retail sales. Friday options expiration. This is this is run of the mill stuff for us, Bob. Are you breathless now after after going through that whole long list, Chris? <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. I wouldn't say that, but it it just it just makes me think that it's going to be a busy week, and even though the market is rebounding, which of course we enjoy for the portfolio. Uh, there's a lot of data that's coming. Some of it, you know, could weigh on the market. As you and I were chatting earlier, the market's, you know, approaching that overbought area. And typically when that happens, you know, sometimes market watchers read a little too much what they want into the data. That's right. And when when uh, the boat, you know, we often use, I like to use this analogy when the when the boat is uh, too heavily uh, skewed to one side, you tend to have a lot of that weight heading on the boat and what happens to that boat, it, it tends to tip over. And, and this is the time where I like to be on the other side of the boat, where a little bit more safety, at least if I'm going to drown, I'll be the last one to drown <laughs> off, the, off the boat if, when it's when it are you Are you one of those guys on the boat who's got the bucket and you're just throwing water over the side as fast as possible? No, I'm the guy who's plugging the holes, putting a, putting stuff <laughs> in the holes, trying to plug the holes up every, as, as fast as I possibly can so we don't, so we don't uh, uh, fall over and, uh, and or or even capsize, but uh, um, but anyway, so you know, as, as along with some of those uh, topics that you <clears throat> that you threw out there, Chris, what any anything mm -hmm. one or two there that that have your your eye that you really want to focus on and and could be a big market mover. I th you know it's funny because last week you and I were chatting about how after the ECB meeting that the dollar was likely to come in and it, it has done that done just that it's still up you know year over year it, it's just at the margin it's it's lower and I think that's helping drive the market a little higher as as we take this conversation on Monday the 12th the the concern I have though is you know, people are starting to read into, oh, well, if, if we get a weaker than expected CPI number, a weaker than expected PPI number, you know, maybe the Fed won't do 75 basis points. Maybe they'll do 50 basis points in September. And I think that's, it's setting, possibly setting it up for another, you know, disastrous round of not really listening to what the Fed said. Because as, as you've pointed out many times, the Fed is hell bent on getting inflation under control. And it's times like these where, oh, 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 if it's a basis point or two better than expected, maybe it won't be so bad in terms of interest rate hikes. And I, I think in I think you'll agree with me on this too. That's the market reading into what it would like to hear, not what we're likely to get. Because as we've continued to point out, you know, we, even if it's slightly better than expected, it is still a mile away from two percent. We have a long way to go. And, and I heard a uh, Fed uh, speaker the other day, it might have been yesterday, said that uh, they didn't believe that uh, uh, inflation was going to hit their two percent target until 2025, Chris. And so we're, oh we're talking full two years plus of higher interest rates. And, and let's not forget, um, <clears throat> the Fed is not going to go back to zero interest rates anytime soon. So 
What is their neutral rate? I mean, it's been it's been thrown around, talked about for a while. Um, I would say, you know, historically speaking, maybe their uh, neutral rate is about three percent. So even if we go beyond that, Chris, say to five, maybe six percent on the Fed funds, nobody's looking at that. I've been talking about it for a while. They need to be bold and aggressive. But even if mm-hmm. they come back to some sort of neutral rate, it's three percent. It's not two percent. It's not one percent. It's three yeah, percent. Right. And right. and so so that is the new world that we have to 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 live in. You know, unless there's some exogenous event that happens again, much like COVID, which caused them to have some sort of emergency type of of uh, vehicles to use and an emergency rate uh, policy, that's not going to happen again. So once they get back to some sort of neutral rate um, of interest, um, that's going to be the new normal. So let's let's just game this out for a second because, you know. The market will have to adapt to that reality. That's going to change expectations. And and we we published a piece today really talking about yeah, a little bit on second half expectations for the S&P 500, but really on 2023. And I, I think what's surprising to me is on the one hand, facts that in, in the Wall Street Journal touched on this, 240 companies mentioned, mentioned recession during the last earnings season. Woo, re- re- record number record number. Yet, earnings expectations are not only up for 2023, they're up like almost 8%. So help me, like, something's wrong here, right? Either either we're going to get a recession and those numbers have to come down, which says the market's not as cheap as some people might be thinking it is, um, or not, you know, my, my sense is the risk is more to continued slower growth, earnings expectations coming down. What about you? Well, I, <clears throat> I think the last shoe to drop there, Chris, is going to be we're going to get it next week. And next uh, next week, of course, is another Fed meeting and they're going to change, pol- you know, uh, guide their policy again. Probably it's about an 88 percent chance of a 75 basis point rate hike next week. But they're also going to give out the projections and they give out projections for inflation, unemployment, Fed funds and the last thing, GDP, what their GDP expectations are. And if you if, as you recall, we, we talked about this four or five months ago, Chris, mm-hmm. is that the Fed's expectations at the last meeting in June were that the GDP, the economy, was going to grow about 1.5% on the plus side for the whole year, 2022. Now, we, we, we chuckled about that because, you know, how were they going to get there with negative GDP in the first <laughs> half of the year? Right, right. So we, we were talking about maybe they we, we need to see 4% growth in the back half of the year to get to their projections of one are and a half. Are, are you seeing 4% growth? No, not quite. Maybe in inflation, <laughs> but not in the in the GDP. But right. so so what's interesting is that <clears throat> maybe we're maybe maybe there's some people who are holding off and waiting to see what these projections are. And if they bring their projections down to say zero, which still might be a rosy outlook for the rest for, for the rest of the year. And into 2024, we might see some of these uh, earnings expectations start coming down based on on, on that uh, framework. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think it's right now when it comes to 2023, you haven't had a lot of companies, maybe any companies guide, issue formal guidance for 2023. So this is a lot of Wall Street analysts with their expectations. And as we know, they tend to move 
in a fascinating way, almost like a herd, right? <laughs> there are very few that are really, you know, significant outliers and, and making longer term projections, but they tend to move, you know, as I said, in a herd. So I, I think this earnings expectations, I think you're right, as usual, this is going to get um, something we'll have to watch next week. But I think, too, that as we get the September quarter earnings season forward outlook and then again in January, when companies really start to make those formal 2023 uh EPS forecast, that's when all of this is going to come into play. And I, I think what that says is it means that we're going to continue to have a very you know, volatile period of time over the next couple months. So, Chris, I have a quick story for you. I promise I won't be very long on this. But when I was back in uh, uh, managing pension money uh, for Sunkiss some 23 years ago, we had a fund manager who was actually out here in the Boston area. The company was called Numeric Investors, and they used a model for picking stocks, Chris, uh, it was called an earnings expectations surprise model. And what they would do is they would gather all the earnings expectations that were out there. You probably heard of one of these approaches, mm -hmm. right? Black mm -hmm. box approaches. So what they would do is they would gather all the uh, analyst estimates and see how they were revising them. Were they revising them upwards or downwards? Mm -hmm. And if they were revising them upwards, you know, they would they would want to be buying those stocks because they thought saw there was a lag period between when those adjustments were made to to the stock price. They wanted to get on the stock price before those uh, the actual earnings would hit. So it was a really great model until everybody started copying them and then, <laughs> and then everybody started doing it and and they 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 lost their they lost their edge. So you know I I, I kind of understand you know how these things work in terms of the lag period that that happens with these earnings estimates um, and expectations and so forth and with how they lag with uh, with stock prices. Okay. Okay. So, to me, if you had to uh, bet on which one is going to be more important, Bob, the CPI for August or the PPI for August? Well, I think the CPI, Chris, because the PPI came in, at, I think, came in at a flat zero last time, and I think the expectation is coming in uh, for a slight negative. Or, or it might have been minus point zero one. Uh, it was very, very close to flat, and it was less than expectations. Um, and the CPI. Um, is coming in the expectation according to the Cleveland uh, Fed's now casting is 0 0.06 month over month. So I want to say that I mean that comes in at about what what is that about one percent, uh, maybe slightly a, a little mm -hmm. above zero. Um, so <clears throat> it's the uh, I think it's that CPI number that's that p that's going to get people uh, working. Now obviously the last four days have been strong for the markets. Today uh, included uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of last week. Uh, you know, the, the thing, what is it, what worries me is that the market has front run these, uh, a, a positive number or positive expected, expectation here that uh, CPI is going to start leaning, uh, leaning down. Um, and I, but we have to remember that, you know, as you talked about earlier, the Fed has not uh, budged with their commitment to raise interest rates, regardless of what these monthly numbers look like. And, uh, you know, they still look at those, they still uh, uh grade policy based on the annual numbers. So um, I don't, I'm not sure if this is going to move the needle, but I think that CPI number is the most important one. I think, you, I think you're right. And I, I think there's reasons to think and why it's going to decline month over month. You know, this is what's got the market excited. 
you know, um, we, we've talked about you know, with members the decline in gas prices, right? Obviously, incrementally, you know, more dollars in the pocket. You know, used car prices have come down, which for some strange reason factors it quite heavily into the CPI calculation. Um, you know, and and some others, but there are some offsets to that. Wage wage gains remain hot. Natural gas prices are still, you know, very escalated. So while people are saving at the pump, you know, you're forking it out for your air conditioning. Um, you know, and other things. And, and the concern I have, and this is something that you mentioned to me a couple of weeks ago, is that, you know, at the end of September, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is done. And I know Washington is talking about maybe doing extending it, but I, I think the last we heard from the White House is, no, that's not going to happen, which means that about a million barrels of oil a day are coming out of the supply. Supply will tighten. So maybe the further gains to be had in CPI may not be as robust. It might take a little longer, in other words. But then there's other things that we're talking about, you and I, about this latest uh, rail issue mm -hmm. uh, where it, apparently some of the railroads are facing um, a contract negotiation that if it's not you know, done by the end of this week, they could go on strike. That would be very damaging for the holiday sales season, as well as transporting of food and everything else. And as we've come to see, transport costs are a huge factor driving consumer facing consumer facing inflation. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's right. And uh, I, I look back historically, Chris, to see um, uh, when was the last big strike and and how long did it last? Uh, I want to say it was about 30 years ago, 1992. I think CSX was one that was uh, causing the big disruption. And um, they threatened to go out for a long time. You know, that, that was settled in three days. So I think um, the unions and um, uh, the government know how important rail traffic is. And to disrupt it with a strike like that um, is it's just no, uh, it's no bueno. It's, it's not, gonna, not gonna work. Well, I mean, let take, let's, let's take the other side of that, right? You know how important you are to the economy. You know, you look at the JOLTS report, the unemployment report, or sorry, the monthly employment report. We know the labor market is tight. You got to think that they're going to get some good concessions. That's right? right. Which which means that the margins at some of these railroad companies could be under, you know, incremental pressure, possibly. So so the so the, the what's interesting, if you notice today that the the three big um, uh, public rail companies out there in the United States are uh, Union Pacific, UNP. Norfolk Southern and uh, Consolidated Rail, CSX. Those stocks are mostly down today, yet the Canadian rails are up strong today, CPE and uh, CNI. And one of those, uh, I think one of those companies made a big acquisition a couple of years ago. Uh, and so, oh, the, yeah, they bought Kansas City uh, Southern. Um, that was the CNI, I believe. So you can see these Canadian rails may be uh, positioned to take advantage of these uh, strikes here and get these uh, get some business uh, from this if it is a uh, if it does happen and if it's prolonged uh, more than um, you know more than a couple weeks. Hmm. Interesting. The the other big piece of news that that I'm watching this week is what's going on in Mississippi. Mm. Holy cow! I cannot believe how that is turned. To, I I can't use the language on the podcast, but you know what I'm you and I would say in terms of a situation when you've got brown water coming out of your faucet. Well, it is not good. It's like what happened in Michigan a few years ago, right? It wasn't about four or five years ago. Didn't they have some situation there where uh, brown Different. water was coming out of the faucet? 
different, different in the sense that my, I, I think that there was some flooding in Mississippi and, you know, some of the aged equipment simply wasn't able to keep up. And now, of course, you know, the federal government's involved and they're, they're bringing equipment and money in to help them. But it, it just serves as a reminder that, you know, when we look across the U.S. infrastructure for water, it is old, it needs to be updated, and water you know, we can joke about it, but it is a very essential item to everyday life and functioning, whether we, you know, clean with it, eat with it, you know, drink, whatever, you know, we need water. And, and you know, from my, from my perspective, this is a great example of the pain point that we, we could face with the water uh, infrastructure and why we're long-term bullish on a company like American Water Works. And, you know, and, you and you know, of course, I, I, I live most of my life in California, and mm -hmm. that is that is a state that is completely um, inadequate in terms of, uh, of reservoirs and and water. I mean, uh, some of the uh, some of the it's, it's a shame that some of the, when we did have some rain um, for about five minutes one time, uh, <laughs> a lot of the water just runs off into the ocean. And it's a, it's a, it's 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 really sad and really too bad that um that some of that capture can't be made and i don't know if you know that uh, you've heard some stories about lake mead and um in nevada you hear about this this you mean you mean the former lake mead the former lake mead right and so so the water levels have gone so far now i listen when i was a kid i used to i used to water ski out there it was great i mean it's not too far from from las vegas we used to go water skiing out there in the summertime the water was great now they've come down Here's a little uh, uh, nugget here, Chris, for you. They're, they're starting to find bodies out there that have been left, you know, probably tied to, you know, cement blocks. They, they say that some back... <laughs> well, they, well they, it's funny because they say back in the uh, back in the day, back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, when when the mobsters were running things. Bugsy like, Siegel and those guys. That's where they, yeah, Bugsy Siegel, they, they would, they would, you know, take people out there and tie their, tie their legs to a, to a cement block and throw them in Lake Mead. So um, they're starting to find these these uh, bodies are starting to show up. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Well, 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 well. We continue to watch the developments on the rail front and and down in Mississippi and and any AAP members that are down in Mississippi, our hearts are with you. Um, you know, please, please, please. You know, take care of yourselves. Um, but there's two other things, Bob, that we we quickly glossed over that really fall into your wheelhouse. One is on Wednesday. One is on Friday. Wednesday is what? So Wednesday is a uh, expiration for uh, volatility. So what happens is once a month we we have the uh, the volatility futures expire and they go on to the next. So people trade the volatility futures on, and you can see. And I always talk about the term structure. So that volatility future in September expires, uh, and on the opening print on on Wednesday, and then all of a sudden we we uh, we have the October becomes the front month. So because uh, obviously you know what when the future. Um, expires, it becomes the present. So it, it, it goes away. So the VIX cash, currently you see it's up today and the VIX futures are down. So they they have to line up at the end of the day tomorrow on Tuesday. So that's why we have a little bit of um, of, of weird movement in the, in the VIX futures here. But there is a huge premium between the VIX cash and the October future, which generally speaking, Chris, is a bullish construct for the, for the markets. Now we'll have to see if that if that continues, um, we we've seen big movements in volatility due to the fact that there's been uncertainty and fear and worry and mm -hmm. and, and uh, in with Fed policy and other things and and obviously with uh, CPI coming out tomorrow and PPI later in the week. But then on Friday we have a, a options expiration. It's one of the four big options expirations of the year. 
well, we got one in March, June, September, and December. Uh, this is the uh, one This is called the triple witching where we have options expire, um, options on futures expire, and index options all expire on the same day. So it creates a lot of, um, wreaks a lot of havoc, a lot of volatility on that particular day. So we've got two events here uh, coming up um, to uh, wreak havoc on the markets. Now, typically, um, September is one of the back half of September is one of the toughest times of the year for the market. Does this does the two things that you just described, does that kind of play into that? Or is this just, you know, happy timing, if you will? Yeah, I I think it's going to play into it as well, too. There's another element to think about for the last couple of weeks, Chris, is, uh, you know, we often see a lot of um, uh, excess buying or selling coming in. Uh, from from hedge funds and mutual funds and pensions funds, you know they they say you know how, what is the uh, uh, window to buy? Like usually it's the end of the quarter that these um, big funds have to step in there and and make some purchases and rebalance their portfolios between bonds and stocks, right? Uh, a little bit of window dressing, perhaps, Bob. That's right. That's right. Window dressing coming in, and you know you. St- uh, uh, these funds have to want to hold certain stocks in in their portfolio. Maybe like they want to hold more Apple. They want to have that Apple in the in in portfolio. Show their um, investors and uh, mutual fund investors and hedge fund clients. Hey, see, we have Apple in the portfolio. It's one of the better names we have. So they they may, they may be out of it now. They may be adding it in the next couple of uh, next couple of weeks. So that window dressing is going to be live for a couple of weeks. Okay. Okay. And. As you look out with that activity, you know, let's just wrap the conversation that we had where, um, you know, the Fed is going to go, we think, bigger, longer than a lot of people are thinking. Uh, Earnings expectations, probably more downside risk for the back half of the year in 2023. Uh, We've got retail sales coming. We've got some other potential hiccups in the form of, you know, this rail disruption. Any reason to think, Bob, that the use of options as a hedge for the market is going to slow down anytime soon? No, I think it's actually going to pick up, and uh, especially coming into the end of the year. Um, you know, you know, there's also another um, elephant in the room here, and it's this quant- quantitative tightening going on, right? And and that's really starting uh, to step up this month in September. $95 billion a month of, uh, you know, that the Fed is going to reduce their balance sheet Create a lot more supply out on the out on the markets too. So that's something that is going to be a, a huge headwind for the markets and especially for the equity markets as interest rates start to rise um, naturally because of more supply uh, in the bond market. So there's that there uh, there's that element as well too. We, we haven't talked about that one for a couple of weeks, but it's certainly that big elephant in the room, and it just started last week. You know, I'm glad I didn't bet you a dollar on what you were going to say, because I was going to say hey, it's got to be the midterm elections and how that turns out. Oh, or the, which, <laughs> which, which is which is another potential elephant in the room or at least, un, you know, known unknown at this point. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of seasonal trends uh, are coming into play as well, too. And, and you know, if you look historically, these midterms, ele- midterm elections have been real positive for equity markets. So if you look back four years ago and eight years ago. Um, we, we saw markets really do strong, uh, re- really become strong uh, in the, at the end of the year after that, uh, those elections. So we're talking about the beginning of November. Um, you know, uh, I think Washington tends, tends to like, um, uh, or Wall Street tends to like gridlock in Washington. So if we, if we do get a, a change in the Congress or the Senate to the Republican side, um, you know, that that could be um, something that... Uh, that the Wall Street likes and um, could get a nice rally to the end of the year. So it, it's really yeah, 
Wall Street is kind of a fickle beast, isn't it? We they love layoffs and they love no no uh, regulation or you know anything happening in in Washington, as you said, gridlock. Counterintuitive, what, baby. Counterintuitive. What it, what is what? And speaking of layoffs, you 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 mentioned a note on Twitter today about uh, a company laying off for a <laughs> very very peculiar reason, Chris. What was that? Uh, it wasn't layoffs. It was it or no was, layoffs. It was it, it was it was cutting of perks. So uh, you know we 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 are watching companies um, cut back on uh, spending. You know there's been talk last week, and we, we we commented on this that Google is saying to its employees, "Whoa, slow down on the business travel." Uh, but this was a funny one. This was Goldman Sachs apparently removing the free coffee station for people returning to the office, and I. Um, that's kind of shocking to me. Savages. I, I I know I couldn't. I you know I'd be, I I I'd be putting in my uh, application at Morgan Stanley if I was working at Goldman Sachs tomorrow, just because I couldn't stand it. Not <laughs> coffee. How about you? I think I'd be making tracks to J.P. Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we we have a busy week. We will be of course be in constant touch with members uh, throughout. Um, you know, I think that there's some things that we're watching, uh, existing positions that we might be nibbling on. There's one or two names that we've uh, communicated, like a Morgan Stanley, that could be bumping up against um, some levels. We'll be, you know, taking some uh, some well telegraphed trimmings. Um, but other than that, Bob, any 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 parting words before we get out of here? Nope, that's it. I, I'm uh, always great to uh, to to get together with you on a Monday or or Tuesday maybe like last week and then uh, rapping about the market so uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll hit it up next uh, next Monday. I you know I I echo that sentiment. I I enjoy these conversations and I'm glad that members are able to hear us talking about these things that are on our minds and kind of pushing the topics back and forth. So with that, we'll bid members adieu and we'll catch you next time.